What's going on, guys? <clears throat> good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you're coming from. Appreciate everybody joining. Get started in a, get started in a minute or two. I just shared the link again. Hopefully everyone's doing well. It is Friday. Hopefully we could um, get to the end of uh, regular trading hours for the New York session and see a little bit of relief uh, with BTC. Hopefully when it is uh, unbound from the shackles of the legacy markets, in particular the S&P, the correlation right now is as strong as it's ever been. Hopefully when we get to the end of the trading day today, uh, we'll see the correlation hopefully uh, abate. Um, Fridays are usually days when TradFi is going to cut out early anyway. So maybe we see that uh, after lunch, around now maybe even, um, things begin to, to cool off with respect to any more movement to the downside. But we'll get started in a second. Like I said, I'm going to give uh, everyone a second to <clears throat> settle in. Appreciate you guys uh, joining. I haven't done a call in in two weeks. I had um, uh, some personal things come up. I had to go to a wake, uh, two wakes, uh, one funeral. Um, I appreciate you guys saying, you know, condolences and all that. It it wasn't uh, anyone that I was particularly close to. Um, extended family, friends. Uh, but nevertheless, it, uh, threw kind of a wrench in the schedule. I honestly didn't really feel like doing a call in, um, just cause of the way things have been. Uh, and I'm trying to get myself situated as far as doing, uh, some kind of consistent schedule now that the streams are going to be coming back on. And as you guys have probably already know, um, and this is really the thing that, um, right now we're waiting on, uh, Myself and my partner, Josh Rager, uh, we're the co-founders of Block Roots, and we have something else that is going to be releasing, hopefully, in the next, I want to say the next couple of weeks. We put out a um, uh, an advertisement uh, for, for writing help, um, looking for writers, uh, and the feedback on that was insane. It's, it's sort of like we need to hire people just to filter through the feedback. Um, but hopefully within the next couple of weeks, that'll be um, public, released, and uh, you guys will be able to see what we've been working on. And then we'll get back to more consistent streams and more consistent call-ins. Um, yeah, but thank you for your patience. Okay, uh, it's going to be as it always is, right? Today's Friday, keep things casual, um, you know, Crypto weekly wrap up really is going to be a wrap up of the last two weeks. I don't want to dwell too much on hindsight. I want to keep things uh, at the margin, right? Trade the uh, far right corner of the screen, far right side of the screen. Um, but we'll do an AMA, right? We'll keep this more or less an AMA. We'll talk about, I guess, a few talking points, um, touch on a few talking points. And uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up. We won't, I won't keep you too long. Um, Just uh, as a reminder, none of this is financial advice, right? This is strictly for entertainment purposes only. And uh, what I say is, you know, the color I provide is, is you know, the the lens that I look at the market through. Um, So please don't take what I say and immediately go apply it to your own positioning. 
you know, God knows that I am um, a medium frequency trader, medium to lower frequency trader, not low frequency or excuse me, medium to high frequency trader. Um, I, uh, I don't scalp the tick charts unless things are really ripping and roaring. There's a ton of volatility, but I, I could be in and out of a couple positions throughout the day, right? By the, you know, from the morning, I could be long, middle of the day, I could be short. And then by the end of the evening, I could be long again. Uh, and I know that that can be for confusing for some, but I think what your goal has to be, obviously, is to build your own system, um, you know, using, you know, combination of the things that maybe you learn from me, the toolkits that I use, um, but ultimately make your own decisions, right? You're responsible for your own choices and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I think that covers the formalities. Just, um, just to get this out of the way before we start, again, when I open it up, uh, be mindful of, you know, the time um, that others might want to talk. Uh, I don't want to get stuck. Um, Sometimes it's not, it's not the fault of any of the callers. It's it's, it's the fault of uh, my own where I, uh, I don't manage time correctly. And we might have a call in where it's literally just me and maybe one other person talking. And again, no fault of theirs. Um, but I do want to make sure that I, I allow other people to, you know, communicate, to voice their concerns, questions, um, all of that, you know, in a fashion that doesn't have us sitting here uh, for, you know, two to three hours. Um, so really quickly, just make sure that, uh, so give me some thumbs up. And uh, I don't ask for thumbs up because I don't, it's not like there's an algo for this at all, but I just want to make sure that the sound is good. Because otherwise, that would be horrible if I had to go over that all over again. Um, I would probably quit. I probably wouldn't do that. Uh, now, let me just check the questions real quick because I want to make sure that I can see these. Okay, so there are some questions that I, I was not aware of uh, previously in some of the earlier call-ins. And this is actually good that uh, this feature is available because there are people that don't want to talk. Um, and I understand that. Uh, I completely understand that. And they would prefer to write their questions through text format. Um, so I'll keep an eye on this. Uh, and I'll be switching back and forth between this and, and the, uh, you know, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll go over the questions in the text, uh, portion of the app, and then I'll switch over and I'll tell you that the floor is more or less open. And what I realized also, and God, I know that I just go off, um, on these, uh, tangents, but, um, I always say that I speak in ellipses. I, it takes me a while, but I, I'll, I'll circle back to my point at some time. I mean, I'll ellipse back to my point because the circle and the lips are not the same thing. Um, but uh, what I realize is you could actually host these call-ins with, um, you know, multiple people on the call. And maybe in the future, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll schedule, you know, a call-in. And, and if you are someone who likes to participate uh, and wants to more or less have an open mic, you could have a few of us up there, you know, up there on the, um, you know, figuratively speaking, the, uh, the stage. Um and we could all be talking more or less like uh, in an open room. But all right. So first things first, just taking a look at the market. Uh, markets are, they look like shit, right? Uh, I, I know they look like shit. What, right, you know, it's always uh, darkest before the dawn, whatever that Batman quote is. Um, they always look like shit before they look great. But across the board, you know, I think the, the thing that we have to, I guess, pay respect to has been, it's been don't fade the Fed in you know, a, a direction that we're maybe not accustomed to as of the last 20 years. Um, but the market is not one where it's just rewarding 
like blind risk taking. Uh, and it's been more or less pretty transparent with regard to that. Um, so really, you have to pick and choose your shots. You have to be nimble. Uh, this really does favor my style of trading, but I have to be completely honest with you. Even though it favors my style of trading, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a environment that I really like to trade. Um, just because, let, let's say, it fits like in that perfect sort of, um, you know, that mold for the amount of time that I like to be in positions anyway. Right. So I don't really like to be in positions too long, uh, unless you know the this, the setup of the situation dictates it. Um, so that's great, but as far as conditions go, as far as the environment goes, it's not necessarily the most, um, conducive environment towards the kind of size that I want to trade. Um, you know, the opportunities that may be set up they're not necessarily, even if they're, they might necessarily, they might look like, you know, an A plus setup, but it's not like I'm jumping at everything just because overall context um, is dictating something else, right? It is more or less dictating to be a little bit more prudent, um, a little bit more, I, I guess the, I, I would say risk averse. So this has been, um, this has been the case now since the beginning of the year. And if you guys remember back in December and January, I was saying, Hey, like, I don't want to say whether we're going very far hot, you know, very, uh, excuse me, if we're going much higher or much lower, but what I what I would say is that you could probably just expect it's going to be up and down for the year, just because we do have this type of um, environment with regard to the Fed uh, and uh, and policy. Um, and every week, you know, it's really like we only had like a month long period between March um, and where we are now, where it looked like things lightened up a little bit, right? We got past that first rate hike. Uh, there was a lot of you know positioning, anticipation of further downside. Markets have done a, a decent job pricing things in. So we had a little bit of a relief rally on the back of what were likely some structural flows with regard to a lot of the um, hedges that were unwound because of the amount of puts that were bought. You know, if you think about options dealers, option sellers, when they're selling puts, they are hedging by buying rather, excuse me, by shorting futures contracts. So that's one way that they'll hedge the uh, hedge their inventory. Um, and that becomes rather their inventory. So once those are, you know, expired and, and it's no longer the case that those options are going to have any value or expire in the money, they're going to be unwinding those hedges and then unwinding those short hedges provides the market, obviously, with some kind of temporary relief. Yet markets oversold across the board. So you can imagine there's a good amount of sideline capital, but not a tremendous amount. Um, so we did have that relief rally and it, it took us so far before we got into the next period where it was okay, pay attention to, you know, CPI. All right, now we, we have CPI pass. Now it's okay, we have the next uh, FOMC meeting. Um, and this is, uh, you know, this is um, in in about a week or two from now, right? So two weeks from now, it's the 22nd. Um, so we're, it's not going to be, it's just going to be r rough waters. I, I guess you could just say, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be the, the it's going to be tough. Um, but, you know, what are, what's that saying? Um, smooth waters or, or calm waters never made a skilled sailor. So um, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a good reason for everybody to take as many trades as possible to try to learn during this time period, unless you have, right, learn during this environment, unless you have sort of that, I don't know, that, that kind of impeccable discipline that um, is, is always sort of, you know, you're always making sure that you never oversize, you never, you know, go for it too hard. Uh, and you're just maybe just trying to go through the motions with smaller positions, just try to get like a feel for trading this kind of, you know, bear market environment, which is what it is. 
Uh, anyone who wants to argue that it's a, you know, still a bull market. Uh, okay. Maybe it's a secular bull market, secular meaning over the last, you know, um, 10 years for crypto. Uh, if you look at a very high time frame chart, but for all intents and purposes, even though bear market doesn't really have any objectionable, uh, um, objective uh, measures that, you know, that really define it. There are plenty of things that people do agree on, whether it's 20% drawdown in equities, whether it's, you know, uh, certain conditions in market breadth, whether it's no new high in a certain amount of time, whether it's falling below the 20 period, the 200 period. Okay, so on, on an individual case-by-case basis, I could understand it if one of those pieces of criteria is satisfied, but then, you know, the three others are not, and then you have, you know, sort of a split table on whether or not we're in a bear market, whether we're in, you know, just a, a lull in a bull market, but all of them are satisfied. Okay, so um, I think it's, uh, I think you're really, like, keeping your head buried in the sand to think that we're still in a, in a bull market. Um, so the ES... Right. Has been the ES being the E-mini futures contracts, right? Trade around the S&P. So the derivative of the S&P trades through the CME. Um, this is what I'm constantly paying attention to just because it has futures hours, right? Obviously, the S&P only trades during regular trading hours. When I use RTH, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, so the correlation between BTC and the S&P has been as strong as ever. Um, we haven't really seen this correlation break except for periods where the S&P has just moved sideways and we've seen a little bit of idiosyncratic flows on risk. Uh, but when the S&P loses its footing, BTC is losing its footing. And a lot of the times we've seen that actually BTC has led. Um, so it might have led by, you know, a couple minutes. It might have led by a couple hours. But before any kind of major moves in the S&P, usually risk you know, if, if there's going to be de-risking, whether it's by asset managers, whether it's by, you know, hedge funds, fast money, portfolio managers, whatever, uh, you know, individual investors, large individual investors. Um, when there's de-risking, you know, you want to sell the stuff that is risky and you want to make sure that your core positions are protected, uh, especially, especially if you're using leverage. Right. So if you're holding Apple and, you know, you have a leverage portfolio built around some, you know, blue chip equities. And then you have some stuff further out the risk curve. You have some BTC, you have some ETH, right? Just hypothetically speaking, uh, when all when all correlations go to one and when the markets are moving down together, a lot of times you're going to see that the first thing to go is obviously the last thing to be added. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the last thing to be added, excuse me, because a lot of times you'll see risk bounce first. Um, but the first thing to go will be that risk portion or portfolio just to free up capital to protect positions and make sure that, you know, you fulfill margin requirements for those more core positions. So the S&P, as I said, if we lost 4360, um, BTC would probably get sucked down with it. And, you know, what this is ultimately is for the last two weeks, we had this nice period of balance um, with the S&P between, you know, 4370 roughly and 4450. It looked like we had a break to the upside above last week's structure. Um, and it was a failed auction. We ended up falling back within the range. Now we're below that entire structure, more or less back within a gap. Uh, and this goes back to our trending week of around March 14th, March 15th. So there's not a whole lot of ground that stands in the way of us moving much lower. Uh, so the only real thing that I think can, you know, shut the lights off right now or, or turn the machine off is, you know, markets closing. Um, and a lot of times what you're going to see 
I know it's been a while, guys, so I'm kind of just rambling right now, but I'll get to the open part of this. But, you know, two weeks off, go figure. A lot of times what you're going to see is the market's going to continue to sell into Friday close, actually. So, you know, hopefully we'll see this this pull up. But if it doesn't, market sells into Friday close, more selling Sunday, you know, and then you get your sort of Monday last minute sellers that are still reacting to what's taking place over the weekend or, or you know, weekend hours when Sunday session opens. And then you have a turnaround Tuesday, right, when those um, – when those, you know, those late shorts, those hedges unwind. So you get sort of this phenomenon Tuesday where phenomenon that, um, you know, where the S&P bounces on Tuesdays. Um, but that's like thinking way too far ahead at this point. Like we should just focus really what's in a few feet in front of our face. So BTC, as far as, you know, what I'm seeing, uh, back to prior week's value area low, monthly value area low. Um, you know, we have yearly value area low around or the yearly value area low right around the lows of this range so extending all the way back to you know right around 37.5 into 36 region and you know prices it's it's not really difficult to figure out what we're doing we're not in a trending environment we're in a ranging environment you might have you know small periods of trending behavior within that right but it's just from one extreme to the other we as i said countless times the drill is constantly um, and you don't have to listen to me, right? I'm not, you're not paying me for anything. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not your guru, right? I, I could be wrong playing times, but when we fell back within the range below 45, you know, that was my criteria for starting to consider this, uh, right? A ranging asset again, uh, over the longer period of time, right? So not longer period of time, but maybe over a portion of duration of, a, you know, period of days, up to a week, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we fell back to the midpoint of range, was looking for footing around 3940, um, had a sort of false break upward, not a false break. We had a move to the upside, and now we're, again, sort of favoring the downside. The good news is, I don't know, you know, this could, listen, sellers could always be right. <clears throat> they could continue to continue to be right uh, before we have any kind of squeeze. We are seeing a pretty substantial increase in open interest. Uh, and this is going back to yesterday, and this is going back to like the 40,500 region where the first move down where we stabbed below 40, uh, it's just been kind of a one-way trip right now, sort of a handicap ramp up in stable coin open interest. Um, and this is primarily on, on uh, Binance and FTX. More recently, uh, we've had, and we haven't had anything like egregious in terms of funding with regards to like negative funding developing or we're really, you know, uh, uh, aggressive dip buying in derivatives. So it's kind of been both ways, right? A brief period of, of negative funding, brief period of neutral funding. This kind of doesn't mean anything because when you have a sharp sell-off, liquidity is going to dry up. Liquidity as a whole right now is drier, so it's going to be tougher to keep the index and the derivative prices in line. So you're just going to, that's the purpose of the funding. It's like, we talk about the funding like it should be prescriptive of something, but really it's a derivative of those um, two markets, right, of market makers, of, you know, participants trying to work together to keep these markets in line and being incentivized to do so. So it be, because it was briefly negative, it just doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? It just means that market was aggressively selling and maybe there wasn't a lot of liquidity. Could mean that it could mean that there was more spot buying and spot was trading higher, but I don't necessarily think that, that looks to be the case right now. Although more recently, uh, in this last push down below 39.5, there has been some aggressive buying on Coinbase. Maybe you're starting to see um, some poachers come into the market, seeing that there's a good amount of short open interest built up, and you know 
there's a long for every short, but meaning that some of the more recent shorts that have been very aggressive um, are, you know, possibly there could be counterparties looking to squeeze them out of positions right now just because they are possibly vulnerable, right? You know, if you have a, a good amount of risk tagged on into an area at a low, you know, break of market structure, looks like continuation, it does inspire a lot of positioning, right? And uh, the minute you start to trade above where all that risk came in, you know, you get some kind of unwind. And depending on the amount of, of volume that was put into that pocket, amount of open interest that built up, right? You're talking maybe about 100 basis point squeeze or, you know, a 1,000, 2,000 point move. So we'll see. Um, I think that I don't think we're just going to, you know, fall off a cliff right here. <clears throat> um, I think it would be great if we could get into, you know, equities close uh, and, and still be able to maintain these lows, right? So again, uh, prior week's value area low, uh, monthly value area low. We did a round trip, uh, which is, you know, not necessarily a good thing, but all in ranging conditions, this is going to be more prevalent uh, than in trending conditions. So uh, I've said this many times before. Um, if you're still stuck within a higher time frame range, you know, in this case, we're in a, in a higher time frame range, in a higher, higher time frame range. If you're still stuck within a higher time frame range, it's probably not a breakaway gap. It's probably an inefficiency. So when you see a move like we had from, you know, 39.2, this is on the 18th, all the way up to 40,000, 40,009, 41,000. I said, I was like, you know, a large part of this is a binance short squeeze. So what did we want to look, what did we want to see? We wanted to see the top side of that pre previous composite hold. But one thing I mentioned in a stream, um, and it's, I said this pretty much verbatim, was that the moves that we're following after were not really getting too far. They were expanding and then we are going through longer periods of compression and consolidation really soon after. So it wasn't like the market was really trending, even though the, the style of distribution was one that would be, you know, so, somewhat of a weak trend. It would still be characterized or qualified as a trend. Um, so we completely covered that gap, right? So honestly, in a ranging market, this would be an area for, you know, from a risk reward standpoint where you might see that some good long opportunities would arise. Um, and not for nothing. I mean, it's the first time I said not for nothing in this one, guys. And I know that's got to be monumental considering I, that's something I'm pretty redundant about. Um, <clears throat> we've seen this many times before where the market, you know, speeds into a level. And that's more or less how, how it happens often is that when you speed into a level, right, you have a vertical move into a level is that that's the level that usually gives you the meaningful bounce. Um, think about what kind of panic that inspires versus the kind that sort of gives you a lot of time to buy and it's grinding along the support and you think, oh, this is this is basing out, but really it's just building up nuke fuel. Um, so you want to see the market get away from an area pretty quickly, but it doesn't look necessarily bad where it is right now. But again, it all like it's one thing to talk about the idiosyncratic flows in BTC, but it only gets you so far in this market because at any point, if someone comes in with like a thousand lot. <laughs> Uh, in the S&P, it's going to take down BTC with it. There's no real, I don't know, like the story with alts. Um, there's no alt season right now. There's like small, again, the, the word of today is idiosyncratic. There's small, you know, idiosyncratic flow between some of the stronger alts that have been, you know, kind of the leading horses for the last year. Um, in the last seven days, you know, Luna is up double digits. Um, you know, I can't think, I don't think there's really anything else. It's up double digits. Oh, uh, Tron. Um, and then you have Monero of all things up double digits. Um, so I don't know if I, I, 
I wouldn't take this as a sign of strength. I would just take this as a sign of beta. Um, you know, you had a period where BTC performed decently, and now BTC is down 1% for the week, you know, roughly 1.5% for the week. And, and Luna's still up, but it was up much, you know, it was, it was up much further. But when BTC comes down, we see how um, more or less all things come down. So I'm going to open it up. I mean, the only thing I could think of is touch on is yesterday you had um, yesterday you had Powell speaking. I think the market's pretty clear, right? I think it's pretty clear right now that the market is pricing in uh, certainty around those 50 basis point hikes moving forward. And, you know, the possibility of maybe a 75 basis point raise. I don't like to, you know, any, I feel like there's too much conjecture around this. I, um, I'm really just trying to listen. I'm, I'm trying to listen to what the market is doing and not listen, but just watch what the market is doing and, and not fade it with my own sort of personal beliefs about how the market should react. Uh, again, we haven't seen, a, a, the Fed is not accommodative. So it's, if you were to, you know, you don't necessarily have to become some kind of macro guru or macro expert right now. There's really no such thing. But you should be able to distinguish between accommodative and non-accommodative environments. And it's just one that right now isn't accommodative. So I don't know what that means to you. But for me, it means shorten your time frames. You know, don't uh, extrapolate too much in, with regard to what kind of target you think you're going to get. Um, and have very strict um have very strict exits for your trades. Don't let something get get against you. Uh, don't play the game where the market moves against you, and then you start telling yourself, "Well, maybe, maybe it actually was supposed to come down here, and my, you know, my idea for validation was wrong. Maybe it is right, but just get the fuck out of the position. Um, get out of the position, and then if it comes back to your position where you originally got in, then you could get back in. You could get back into positions all day, and, and yeah, you might chew yourself up. You know. Um, in slippage, you might chew yourself up in, you know, <clears throat> transaction costs, but nothing chews you up worse than the bid being removed when you're in position. Okay. At a, nine times out of 10, you're, you're better off getting in and out of a trade five times, trying to get out around break even, you know, incurring some slippage, paying, you know, jump the spread from a, you know, um, transaction cost and a, um, and a spread standpoint, than then letting the market go against you. Cause Bitcoin puts in, you know, it's significant moves to the upside and it's significant moves to the downside in a short amount of time. When you look at that 15% candle, 10% candle on the daily, that didn't happen over the course of 24 hours with a slow move up. That happened, you know, 15 minutes throughout that day and then, it, you know, grinded the rest of the way. But a bulk of the move gets put in, in a really short amount of time. So don't let yourself... Uh, be exposed to that tail risk. All right, so let's open it up. Let me just look at the questions real quick. Um, CB tools that I'm looking at. I look at uh, I look at tapes, and then I look at CVDs. So I do have a specific CVD just for spot. Um, and from time to time, I might separate CVDs. I might have like my FTX CVD separated, my CB my CB CB uh, CBD separated. Um, I haven't found that it's really that useful to have all the CVDs separated. I'd rather just know. You know, leading exchanges by spot, leading exchanges by derivatives, group those together. The more like the working parts you add into your system, 50 indicators, every single, you know, you have a tab on every single exchange, what kind of flow is coming. Through. It's way too much to manage. At the end of the day, you have to be able to make a decision, put on a position, and you have to be able to be wrong the majority of the time anyway. So um, I, I just think a lot of it, it's too noisy to have an idea of every single exchange, but 
specifically, I could see that most of the volume is coming through CB um, because I do have, again, I have a tape where I'm looking at the actual orders that are coming through and I have a spot CVD. And I know that, you know, right now Coinbase is uh, doing most of the lifting by looking at both of those. But I guess I just want to say, you don't have to have like a, a tab on every single exchange. Know what's going on on CB, know what's going on on Binance, know what's going on FTX. Bybit is relevant as well. Um, what's up, Doc? Uh, I can't give you a hint on what we're releasing. It's not a token. It's not a. Um, it's not a trading tool. It's a tool, um, and I think it'll be very valuable to everybody who always asks us a ton of questions. <laughs> um, that's all I could say. Uh, all right, PBJ, what's up, buddy? All right, so let me open it up. You guys want to ask questions? I don't think I really missed anything I wanted to touch on. I mean, I was going on there for 30 minutes. I I mean, there is not, there's not a whole lot right now that is making this market a compelling market to trade. Um, I think, you know, I, I just, I don't think, I don't, I see people being really bullish. Um, I don't see it. Uh, I will be happy to change the benefit of being in. So it doesn't, you know, people don't like to be, people want to be really early on Twitter. Uh, They just want to be able to say that they bought at 39 instead of, instead of saying, you know, they bought at 42. It doesn't make that much of a difference when you have a little bit more. It's honestly peace of mind for me to buy higher sometimes when I know I'm buying with stronger flow. So, and I'm tying this into, it's not saying that I wouldn't buy at the lows of this range again, because if, again, if, if flow dictates them, I'm, I'm giving the flow the respect it deserves. I don't really, I, it's the, you know, the, the saying, geez, I'm like, I can't even get a sentence out right now. Um, I got this, uh, new canned coffee and it's, it's amazing. But, uh, you know, the, the saying is, uh, strong opinions loosely held, right? So, I have a bias overall for this market, but um, a lot of the time I'm just giving the flow the respect it deserves. So the, the benefit of us being in a sort of a tighter range down here at the low of another range is that honestly, if I, I don't care about waiting to buy above 45 because I know that if we're back above 45, you know, there's a lot of fuel at that point to get us much higher. And I know that it's much less light. It's, it's far more likely that we're going to go higher and far less likely that we're going to reject again after we had that, you know, brief period of range of behavior above the range that failed. So for me, that's a cost of doing business. I don't necessarily care to sit in my hands right now and only take some of the best opportunities I can. Uh, I took a, I filled along last night. Um, I have to get used to reply guys. People, someone said like, why do you even bother with reply, reply guys? I don't know. I, I guess I never really had them as much as I have them now. And I could be talking to fucking bots. Who knows? I don't. Um, but I never had them in the volume that I have them now. Uh, and it does like it, it gets annoying, honestly. Like I, I, it makes me not even want to read my comments. Um, and I'm just like, I'm that kind of person, I guess. Like I'm the kind of person, like if you said something in my face, I'm going to say something sarcastic back to you and, and have some kind of comeback, keep things light. But, uh, you know, I was getting a lot of shit for buying the dip because I started buying, I started buying 
before we broke down, right? So I always tag on a starter position if I'm going to fill a larger position anyway. Uh, and the reason I do this, and I mentioned this in the past, is I might tag on, you know, a, a tenth of what I want to put on, right? Uh, you know, even less than that, but I'll tag it on at market. If I'm going to be swinging and it's going to be, um, I'm a, if I'm going to be swinging a majority of the time, it's going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to try to tag on, uh, I mean, it all depends on conditions, but I'll tag on always, at least always half at market, sometimes hold, right? The entire position. Um, but even when I'm swinging and I have like a, a longer term idea for a position, I still will tag on some at market, like not just try to get filled with limit orders. And the reason I do this is because when you actually put a position on, you start, it, it, it starts sharpening your focus. Um, it, it makes it real for you, right? You start paying more attention. Um, and if you, if you want a real opinion about the market, you got to put a position on. So, or if you want to see what your biased opinion looks like, right? confirmation bias. But anyway, so I started tagging on a position, but I shared the chart, right? I, I shared the chart for how low I was, I was willing to get involved and where I was looking to get involved. And sure enough, we snapped into that area all the way down to the, the last order that I had. And my last orders are my largest orders, right? So when I'm scaling into positions, I will scale them in a way that my last, but that as they go down, they're increasing in size, right? To fulfill my entire position. And sometimes I won't get that, I won't get that complete fill, right? And this is not something done algorithmically. This is done, um, this is done by hand. So uh, not by hand, but I think you know what I mean, right? Um, these are not weighted in any kind of particular special way based on, you know, this is based on my experience, right? I'm sure this could be, op my point is, I'm sure this could be optimized by someone like Sim. Um, but I was filled. I ended up closing that out for 650, 700 points. Didn't want to sleep on the position. Uh, but now we're lower into the area where I technically got filled last night. And it doesn't become as attractive because, again, we already got that rejection. I don't want to see us accept back into that region again. But this could be setting up right now um, to set up for another meaningful shot um, at some upside. Right. So, again, though, the flow has to dictate that. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how this evolves. What's up, Mike? Let me just get you on here. Hey, what's going on, man? You're still, uh, you're muted, so just. Hey, can you hear me now, Ryan? Yeah, how's it going? Hey, man, I apologize uh, for being a little loud in the background. If you need me to go inside, I will. No, um, no, no. Yeah, yeah, so I, uh, first off, thanks for, for, you know, allowing all these, you know, random people from uh, either Twitter or wherever to pick your brain. Um I just have one, a question, and you mentioned it on one of your other calls. Um, you know, I know that you're typically more of a short, you know, term person as far as like your trading, but you have some Bitcoin on cold storage. I guess my question is like, I'm just, and again, this is just me picking your brain, and I'm just curious to understand like your psychology as far as like if you're, you know, let's just say on a midterm time frame bearish you just don't even feel any sort of, you know, um, urge to sell your cold storage Bitcoin, even though, you know, for instance, you'll open a short up or, you know, you know, even just be bearish, like given what's going on in the stock market. And I would just, I guess, like I said, it was curious to hear, you know, what your mindset was in regards to that. So I have cold storage BTC and I also have, when I'm referring to trading spot, a lot of times I'm, I have spot, you know, I have spot positions that I open up. Uh, with capital that I have on exchanges. My cold storage is, and this is the best way that you can keep yourself from selling it, um, 
my cold storage is in multi-sig. So it's, it's, I couldn't just make sort of a knee-jerk decision to sell my BTC uh, unless I hopped in a car and went to two different locations. Uh, that sounds ridiculous, um, but that's how I have my multi-sig set up. And it's just the, the ledgers that I have are geographically separated just so that, you know, just in case, like someone can't come to my house and put a, a gun to my head and rob my BTC. I mean, they could get me to drive there, I guess, but <laughs> um, so that helps to not sell. There are definitely times when I do want to sell. Uh, I don't, I have, I guess I would say I have by other people's standards, a significant amount of cold storage BTC, but in terms of my overall portfolio, I have a barbell portfolio that is basically crypto and cash lately. Um, and it's been far more heavily cash, right? So far more heavily cash, more focused on remaining nimble trading. A lot of the times when, when it comes to like my longer term positions, it gets to a point where you have to think about what kind of adjustment, if you made an adjustment, right? And let's say you had a, a certain amount of BTC that you were, you recently added, right? Cause I have added to my spot holdings in the last couple of months, nothing major, but I have. Um, you have to think about it also from sort of a cost standpoint, considering tax. So does it make sense for me to really dump everything? Uh, or do I have an outlook that is positive, at least looking like six to 12 months out? And I think that the way I look at it is it's never really worth, worth it for me to sell everything. Um, because at any, you know, the one thing that, you know, the market doesn't price in gradually is, if we do have some kind of major catalyst overnight, right? Like, let's say, I don't know, I, I can't, you know, it's not going to be in the United States, I don't think, but if it was, let's say a central bank says that they're going to start picking up BTC, right? Um, that's not going to give you an end. You're going to have like a 30% candle, right? Um, so I, I don't want to get rid of everything at any point. I think that no matter what, like I, I, I've said this, you know, countless times, like I have uh, my investment my bias with Bitcoin is as a long-term investment is that it's probably going to outperform 99% of any kind of traditional legacy, TradFi, you know, commodities, stocks. It's going to outperform all of those over the next 10 years. So that's my belief. It, it doesn't really make sense for me to make too many decisions with that longer-term position. Um, and I think that one of the things that gets misused in crypto in particular is the idea of an investment um, because an investment time horizon in crypto is like, it's a monthly thing, right? But in reality, an investment time horizon should be at like two to three years of minimum, right? So I, I try to really make sure that um, one of the reasons why, honestly, I got multi-sig was one, for security purposes, but two, I know that if I have, like I, this has happened a couple times where I have spot BTC, on a ledger, it's in my safe, right? And I know this is a public call, so I'm not, you know, <laughs> I have some, right? But I also have a really nice gun set. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, it's in my safe, and I know what happens. Like, I, I'll go in, I'll take it out, I'll transfer to an exchange, I'll keep it there for a second, and I'm thinking, do I want to sell this? So I go through that, and I'm thinking, not, listen, nine times out of 10, what I realize also is if you could just not be in front of the computer, you're better off, right? Because a lot of the times, if you were able to miss out on a week or two, you would have saved yourself having sold the bottom, right? So yeah. I, I never want to take myself out of that possibility completely. Does that make sense? 
It does. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's crazy because you're obviously as, you know, experienced and sophisticated of a trader as anyone. And it's almost like you could see things coming, but even so you're like, ah, screw it. I'd rather just like be able to live my life and stop myself, even though like, you know, I, I follow your tweets and you're like, Hey, like, you know, this is kind of a fail breakout. You probably in your head know it's going lower, but it's almost like the principle of it to where you're like, Hey, either, you know, this is for my kids or B, you know, whatever, like uh, maybe I'll take some off the table, but it's never like you're all in or you're all out. Like you're scaling in, you're scaling out. It sounds like, would that be correct? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, when Got I, it. when it comes to a lot of the times when, when we are in drawdowns, like when I'm see, seeing that the market looks like it's losing momentum, a lot of the times my spot that I have on exchanges, I'm hedging that either way. So, and this, usually this is like, when I say that I'm shorting the market, I never really, only a handful of times have I really outright shorted Bitcoin, where I have net exposure beyond my portfolio that is short. The reality is a lot of times if I'm short, what it's really doing is it's just it's, it's just protecting that cold storage BTC, right? It's just mitigating some of that downside or, or the spot BTC that I have on exchanges. It's just basically it's, it's making me a little bit more delta neutral. Um, whereas like some, you know, the, the opposite of that would be if you had a, a complete cash position and then you took a short on BTC and you had a directional play on Bitcoin breaking down, you're looking to make money on that rather than protect what exposure you already had. Got it. It makes sense. So like, obviously your, your macro bias is always up. You're not really trying to make money per se when you say I'm opening up a short here, but rather you're just hedging. So you're not losing money. And then the next time it turns around, obviously, you know, you missed out on all that loss. Maybe you didn't gain much because you're net long while it was going, you know, while it was going down. But at the same time, you know, that it's almost like you're just taking, you're like picking your battles and like you're protecting yourself when you need to. And then when obviously, you know, it's full steam ahead in a better macro environment, you know, you're long as, as could be. It sounds Absolutely. like. Correct. Got it, man. Hey, thank you for your time. I appreciate thank it. I was just like curious it. about that. Yeah. No problem, man. Good talking to you. You too. Okay, Mark. Hey, what's up, bud? Hey, how's it going, Ryan? Um, just uh, wanted to thank you also for taking the time to uh, kind of enlighten us all on the way that you trade near that. And, you know, it's always enjoyable to see little glimpses into your life, the dog and all that kind <laughs> Thanks, of stuff. Man. Yeah, horses and everything. So I really enjoy that. Um, just following up on the last guy's call there, um, let's say you don't have much cold storage in cold storage, but you do have some in cold storage, but you want to grow it. Um, and you were willing to, um, you know, hold at times, but then sell to avoid the bigger dips, like on a more macro scale. Uh, I did remember that you said one time Hank and Ashy candles with a two day chart would be handy for that. I think it might've been while you were streaming, uh, yeah. while you were gaming, <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, but is there, what would you follow the eight and 21 moving average? Um, you know, if on a macro scale, you just wanted to, uh, to, uh, just not trade, uh, short time frame, but just get in and out at the important times. 
Yeah, I mean, you want you would want to have some kind of system that's built around that's semi systematic, well, systematic, and probably built around some kind of trend following tools. Um, and you could use a combination of some kind of hike and ashy combined with, you know, you said eight and 21, some kind of crossover method with those, uh, or, you know, something like the 20 period on the weekly, which is also good to give you um, sort of a, a bullish or, or bearish bias. There's that. And then there's, you could use something like a volatility stop, which is, it's basically a moving average based on ATR um, that allows the market to be somewhat noisy the way a trend would, but when the market breaks to the downside, you know, or if the trend is resuming to the upside in a way that's in excess of ATR, you know, okay, this is something that is significant that's happening versus something that's noisy within a trend, right? That would normally be acceptable. Um, and, and you could, you could use that to, you know, that is, that is one way that I've tre- uh, systematized my own cold storage, my own spot BTC in the past. Right now, I, I try to be a little bit more nimble based on other factors, but that's absolutely something that you actually click the button, but it is something that allows you to frame things a little bit better, right? Where you're not just kind of, you know, making decisions randomly, but you have some kind of semi-objective measure of where the market sits, uh, you know, within the trend. Um, I, that's why I've always said that the 20 period is great, right? So that I think that personally, the 20 period, and when you're looking at something like a two to three day chart, um, it is sort of that sweet spot, right? So the, the two or three day chart, the 20 period, uh, and then like you said, if you look at that with, you know, a combination of Pike and Ashy, uh, which is, you know, more or less sort of a, a, a trend following tool for um, just candlesticks, you could combine those to get a, a pretty actionable system. Um, and, and again, what it does though, is it, a, a trend following system gives you a late buy and a late sell though. But the idea is obviously that you're hopefully able to be a little bit more systematic. Um, and you're, you're hopefully going to be able to capture, you know, a larger portion, um, of the moves, right? Okay, great. Thanks, Ryan. Of course. And you don't, you know, the, the thing though, just to be clear is there's going to be a lot of times where there's noisiness around the 20 period, right? Or there's noisiness based on, um, you know, if you're looking at any kind of moving average or trend following tool. So it's not going to be just the case that it breaks, but you might want to be looking at something like a, you know, you might define a significant close through versus just a wick through, right? As, as one reason or another to make a decision. And obviously when it comes to changes in direction, it's usually gonna be one where there's like a firm, a firm shift in market structure or a firm change by the market rather, right? Whether it's buyers or sellers really imposing themselves. Exactly, okay, great, thank you. No problem, good talking to you, man. All right, Burke's Law. Oh, hold on one second. I think I just pressed the wrong button. You'll be able to talk, but let me just... Oh, here we go. Sorry about that, bud. Uh, Burke's Law, just... That was it, right? Burke's Law? Um, Just uh, elect to call in again. There you go. Hold on one sec. All right. Hey, what's up, bud? Hey, Ryan. How's it going, man? Happy Friday. Oh, happy Friday to you. Yeah, thanks, Ben. 
Hey, um, had a uh, had a kind of quick question for you. You mentioned it earlier um, with another one of the callers. You're kind of talking about how last night you got filled on some of the positions. You know, now we're trading below that, but momentum has has broken downside. It's not quite as attractive. And you mentioned you would uh, keep an eye on the order flow, um, see if something changes. I was just curious, like what tools do you use to monitor that? Um, if you have any recommendations for uh, for keeping an eye on that. Yeah. So, I mean, what the primary platforms that, so I've gone over this, uh, I've like joked about this a bunch of times, how trading order flow in crypto is like a pain in the ass because when you're trading traditional markets and you're trading through the CME, you have like your, you have a selection of different software to use. They're all going through the same exchange though. In crypto, now you have one order flow is becoming really sort of in vogue. Um, I've noticed in like the last year, it's become really popular and it makes sense because it's like the normal chronological progression of people just getting into the market and learning different methods and then realizing that one of the best methods is to focus on the actual buying and selling taking place, right? It's the most mm -hmm. raw information. Um, so now there's a ton of different platforms. And, you know, what I've been looking for are things that obviously don't have any kind of latency that are giving accurate, you know, representations of the data. I've switched around a couple times. Honestly, most of the time it's, it's, I think I'm starting to realize I probably switch around for aesthetic reasons. Like I like to switch things up period. So as long as it's working and it's, you know, it's in full functioning form, I don't mind. I use exocharts. So are you familiar with exocharts? I'm not. Okay. So exocharts. So if you, um, if you telegram me, so do you have telegram? I do. Yep. I'll make a little list and I'll, I'll send it to you there. It's the same. My Telegram handle is the same as my Twitter handle. So it's just at Kenner and Clark. But I use ExoCharts and that uh, is an order flow platform. It has market profile. So that's not order flow, but it, it does obviously show the distribution of, of price action. Mm -hmm. uh, it has footprint charts. So it has your things like cumulative volume delta, um, the broken down footprint charts and the candlesticks to show you, you know, action at the bid, action at the offer. Um, I look at the tapes, so the actual time and sales of you know, an aggregated tape. So I, I've been back and forth with what platform I've been using, but I went back to something called AgriTrades. So that is A-G-G-R dot trades. Um, but again, I'll, I'll, I'll send this to you in a, a telegram. That has, it has a chart, it, it, it's customizable. So the basic template that it comes with um, is a chart that's a, like a tick chart. Usually it's like a, it's not a tick chart, but it's like a five second, a 30 second, a one minute, or even higher than that. But most people look at it on the low, low time frame. Mm -hmm. It has CVDs. So your cumulative volume deltas, which again are also on Exos. So there's redundancy across platforms. Like they're all trying to show the same stuff more or less. Um, and then it has a tape. So it, it allows you to see all of the orders coming through all the exchanges, depending on what exchange you allow to come through so you could filter for certain exchanges. So I, I don't want to know about the irrelevant exchanges. So I only want to know, you know, what's going on in Binance, FTX, uh, what's going on Coinbase, what's going on on Bybit. Then I could also filter for the size that I want to see. So if I set it really low, I could see all of the flow, right? Cause I'm going to see all the odd lots, like all the small orders that are kind of irrelevant, but they might be relevant because it might be a smaller TWAP in action might be worth paying attention to the overall speed of the market, or I can turn it up if I only want to see, I could adjust the filter so that I could only see very large orders, right? So I only want to see orders that come through over a million dollars. No problem. I could separate them by color if I want, right? So I could make it so I only 
that my million dollar orders are bright red and then everything else is gray. You do whatever you want. Um, and then I recently started using, um, oh, the, la- the other one that I always use is Coinalyze. So again, I'll, I'll type that out on Telegram. Coinalyze has all futures data. Um, it has your funding tools. It has CVDs that you could split up for spot or perps. It has, um, you know, basis, uh, open interest, all relevant order flow information for, I think, every crypto. So you could use this for alts because some order flow platforms only have certain pairs that are connected to them. So it becomes a pain in the ass because there's so many new order flow platforms coming out, but some of them only connect to some exchanges, others connect to the other exchanges, and you're kind of like trying to mix and match to find what you need. Uh, and then lastly, there's a good platform called Trading Light. Uh, and this has all of the uh, other things that I just mentioned. It also has heat maps. So showing you the like latent or, um, you know, resting orders on the bid uh, and on the ask or in the bid and in the ask. Um, this is not necessarily something you should lean on too much. It's good when there's confluence between, you know, maybe certain bids or asks at particular levels in market structure. It's good if you were paying attention to maybe the change in it, if there's any kind of, you know, spoofing taking place. You can glean some useful information from it, but it's definitely not something where you want to say, okay, there's a big bid, then that means we have to go up. Um, the one thing I did notice about Trading Light, there's a little bit of a lag. So what I did, what I do with all of the tools is I make sure that they're working fast right? I make sure that rather they're registering um, almost instantly. So if I go onto an exchange and I place, I noticed this with Trading Light, if I, um, if I went onto an exchange and I placed a very large bid far away from price, the bid would show up on the heat map right away. So let's say I want to place a, a 5 million contract bid, you know, 5% away from price. It shows up right away. So that's good because it shows up right away. So I see when things are coming in immediately. But when I removed it, I noticed that on trading light, it took like 15 seconds for that bid or the ask, whatever you you place, to disappear. And as you can imagine, that might be misleading if you're you're looking at a bid or an offer and saying, well, that's going to act like support or resistance. But meanwhile, it hasn't been there for the last five seconds, right? It's already been removed. Right. Um, So those are the platforms that I use. Uh, I use Quant Tower to trade. Um, I, it's this, this is changing frequently because I'm constantly looking for, again, something that has, that's all encompassing, that has all of the tools. And I think that it's going to change moving forward. And I say that because some point someone's going to kind of, I guess, take the, the number one spot. And right now it's kind of up in the air because you have a lot of platforms competing. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a good category to be in, right. Or, or it's a good style to serve, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah, I appreciate the help on, uh, on all the tips on all that. I'll send you a, send you a telegram note as well. But yeah, I mean, there, there's so many tools out there and, and all this different noise, you know, someone kind of coming new, um, trying their hand at trading, uh, figuring out what's, what's legit and not, it can be tough. Yeah. And the, uh, the thing is like, I, I do switch often. And like I said, I, I find that I switch often based on sometimes just aesthetics, honestly, you get tired of looking at the same shit if you look at the computer for 12 hours a day. But the the one thing that they all have to satisfy is they have to immediately be relaying accurate information, right? You can't, I can't have a tape that doesn't show the orders that just came through. It can't be lagging, right? So 
they all do lag, obviously, to a certain degree. You're not getting this as if you were like co-located with the exchange. But more or less, the stuff that I use has been, um, I guess, as good as you're going to get that's publicly available. Right on. All right, brother. Yeah, appreciate it, man. No problem, man. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Okay, let me see the questions. No more questions yet. All right, does anyone else want to hop on? Been on for an hour. S&P broke 43. It's an ugly looking chart right now because there's no major structural area. Uh, I mean, we're hanging right above. It's right around 42.80. And then below that, you don't really have anything till 41.40 region. So, um, and, you know, just for all intents and purposes, if, if the S&P were to break 42.80 um, and traverse all the way down to 41.50, you know, you could, I would imagine most of you would know where BTC would be if you were asked, is it going up or is it going down? Uh, or is it going sideways, right? In, in that situation with the S&P continuing to move down, Bitcoin will just continue to move down. So I think one thing that I should absolutely um, reaffirm is that if the, as long as the S&P keeps moving down, it doesn't make sense in my, in my book to buy the dip. Um, you need sort of a, a situation where, you know, the S&P is turned off. <laughs> you need, we need to get to the weekend and survive to the weekend. PBJ, what's up, bud? Let me get you on here. PBJ, is that like peanut butter and jelly or is that your name? Uh, hello. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I mean, uh, sorry, it's not peanut butter. Actually, it's my full name. <laughs> <laughs> how are you yeah man doing great actually uh yeah. i want to thank you first for signing me up for that course uh, of course yeah uh, uh, it's actually adding great value to me and uh, it's a really great course first of all uh, a quick question about uh, uh the market structure uh how do you define uh direct price directional bias during uh, day open how do i define price direction during Bias. The day? what's that or right after the day open uh day open i mean uh how you uh, analyze through uh, i mean you actually mentioned uh, on your uh, live stream uh, already but i didn't get actual uh, um, i mean uh what do you call it my actual english is a bit poor yeah? I mean, sorry so as as far as the daily open and using that to create some type of bias um it's not necessarily like the strongest thing to lean on to say you know one daily open or another is going to lead to something you could have a lot of conviction around but what i would say is you could basically apply a, a basic template or you know uh, higher up view with regard to the daily open if the daily opens within a prior day structure so if we and this implies that in a 24-hour market that we closed out in the middle of the structure too so let's say for example you know you're looking at a tpo chart if the daily opens within value so if we open within the prior day's value 
Um, or, you know, if you're not looking at TPO, TPO chart, if we open within what is the bulk of the prior day's range, right? So the, the meaty part where most of the distribution was, then it doesn't really make sense to have any kind of overall larger trending bias, right? At least for the day. Um, my first assumption would be that if we're opening up within the day and if the day was uh, the prior day was a ranging day, they were probably going to continue to range and it would probably be the, it's not like it's, it's never necessarily, um, deterministic where I would say if we opened up within a ranging day, we have to continue to range, but it's definitely something where I would weight my bias more towards that outcome. Whereas if you have, let's say the daily open, um, and we open above, uh, we open above a prior day, you know, a prior multi-day structure, or we open below a prior multi-day structure, then maybe initially your bias would be in those cases directionally leaning in the direction that we opened. Um, and you can't say just the previous day because you're always going to open above or below the previous day if the candle was up or down, but we're talking about from previous structure. Yes, yes, sure. Yeah, actually, currently I am uh, purely overwhelmed uh, talking to you right now. I just want to thank you. Uh, thank you for the great help. Oh, you're welcome. I was happy to give you the course. Thank you, sir. It's uh, actually I'm going to worth it for you also in future. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just put it to good use. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot, sir. Have a great day. You too, sir. Have a great day. All right. Does anyone want to hop on? So I forgot how I started talking to PBJ, but he reached out to me asking me, like many people do, uh, for some guidance. And I'd created a course. Uh, I created a course uh, maybe like two years ago now on, on profile and TPO. Um, and a lot of people, we just give it away to for free. So I just given it to him. It's, it's only, it was 49 bucks at the time anyway. Um, but, uh, a complete course on, you know, all the basic stuff for profile and TPO, just cause I had gotten, so this is a, this is part of block roots, but I've been for the longest time, actually just getting so tired of trying to answer questions individually, um, that I put something together. That's, it's like a hundred, I think it's a hundred videos long. It doesn't take long to go through. Um, there's plenty of free content that is on par with it. That's on YouTube. And that's why we're, we're probably just going to make the entire thing free either way because I end up just giving away so many of them. And <laughs> probably shouldn't say that because there are people that did pay for it and, you know, in the past and uh, they probably wouldn't be too happy about that. But it, it's yeah, it's cheap. But, um, yeah, he's enjoying it. So that's it's good to know. Uh, all right. So we're over an hour now. Um, and that's like my, my – if I give anyone advice, like, on how to trade and how to, you know, where to start. Um, it's a long road ahead just to understand that right away. Like the reality is like, if there are 99 people in this room, I want to say that, Hey, maybe you guys are the, the sample um, of the larger sample that is the small, you know, sliver of people that will all make it. But the you know reality is if you have like 99 people in a room, maybe five people will last three years. Um, so that's it's just really important. I think understand that attrition rate first and foremost. Um, and, you know, from there, it's like, where do you start? I mean, trading is going to be dependent on what kind of person you are. Your style is rather going to be dependent on what kind of person you are. Um, but 
as far as where to start from an educational standpoint, there's so much free material on the internet, right? Uh, someone posted something yesterday and I shared it. Um, and I get frustrated sometimes because, you know, one, like having over 125,000 followers, it's not natural. Um, you know, there's something called the Dunbar limit. Uh, and I think it's like, what, 150 to 200 people or the, the highest amount of people that we could optimally interact and form sort of a cohesive group with. And beyond that, it's just like, it's impossible. So imagine, you know, 125,000 followers. Um, I get, you know, maybe 25 to 50 messages uh, a day, um, sometimes lower, obviously, sometimes more. Um, but asking where to start and, you know, or asking basic questions, there is like the Library of Alexandria on the internet, right? I think no matter what, don't, I, I don't think you should join a paid group. Um, some people have success stories doing it, you know, having a mentor is great. Um, but before you do any of that, before you pay for anything, you could technically learn it all for free. Um, and, and when you're paying for something, you're really just paying for like the course that I created. That's why I didn't want it. We didn't want to, the course that I created is the same course, the same material that you pay a thousand dollars for if you sign up for Axia. But it, I, I just, I would feel, um, kind of like a thief to charge that much money for it because honestly what you're doing when you're creating a course is one, I didn't come up with the concept of a footprint chart or a, a profile. And I, and I certainly didn't come up with the, the things that were taught to me as far as how to use them and what to look for. So really what I did was I just curated that information. Um, and, and that really just takes, you know, if you're a busy person, it's great when someone curates stuff for you because then it's just less legwork for you. But if you do have the time of day, and I promise you, you do now because it's a bear market, you can learn all of this stuff for free. You have a chance. Um, it's, it's different than, you know, it's the same difficulty as maybe trying to be a professional athlete, but it's not the same process because you actually can just enter in the market with, you know, a significant amount of money and, and take your shot. Whereas you can't just go knock on, you know, the Yankees, uh, Yankees door and say, Hey, let me, let me hit a few balls. Um, so anyway, this, this is a time to learn. If, if you're really interested in this stuff, uh, the internet is a, obviously an incredible tool. You know, social media is the worst thing ever, but, um, you could find all this stuff for free. And I, what I will say is that the tool that me and Josh are working on will help you with regard to that. So I think, I think this is it though, because no one else has tried to call in the popcorn reached that point where it's not popping anymore. And you relate to the microwave. Oh, TJ's up. Let me get TJ on. Hey, what's up TJ? Hey, not a lot. I mean, the only reason why I hopped on is because there was no one else in the queue. So <laughs> got to keep that content flowing in, you know, keep it all good, man. Thank you. Yeah, sure thing. Well, hey, love the concept, love the show. Um, just covering crypto in general. Um, it seems to be, I, we, we kind of measure this by the amount of BTC that hits exchanges for the most part. Uh, can you touch on that? If we're seeing currently, like, you know, basically this month or this quarter, if we're seeing more currency hit the exchanges or being removed, that's a good kind of general general idea how we can kind of gauge the next quarter or two. I mean, from... I don't pay attention too much to like on-chain analytics, but from the last things that I saw, I think that it was in the direction of BTC being removed more than being added. Um, 
but I think it's it's tough to use on-chain analysis because I think ultimately what on-chain analysis points to is that in the long run, be you know, Bitcoin is a good investment. I think it's just showing that as far as like in, in terms of um, over the higher time frame, it's uh, things are sound. And yes, there's a, a degree of scarcity and there is, you know, only a, a, so many BTC available and so many on exchanges and all those signs are pointing north over the, the longer term. But as far as like locally looking at it, I don't really give too much weight for it. The last thing I did see, though, was that it was indicating that I think Bitcoin was leaving exchanges more than it was actually being deposited on exchanges. Uh, but that it's not necessarily like the most actionable uh, metrics, though, because it's really slow moving. So it's not like I could see that and then start putting out a position on behalf of that because it could do that and then price could move another 5% lower, it could continue to be giving that piece of feed or that type of feedback. And and then by the time it changes, price has already moved significantly against me. Or, you know, it could, this, the opposite could happen in terms of prices moving up before the market, you know, that data actually ends up adjusting and meaning anything. So I don't really have too much of a finger on the pulse with regard to uh, on-chain analysis, but people like Will Clemente do, you know, they, they spend the bulk of their time analyzing that stuff. Um, so he's probably a good follow. He probably has more information than I do. Awesome. Well, great contribution. Uh, you mentioned too, you said the course that you provide for free. Can you touch on that? The easiest way to get hold of that? Um, so it is, uh, it's at blockroots.com. It's just a, a TPO market profile course. Uh, and it touches on, it has like a section on order flow and a section on uh, market profile, but we haven't made it entirely free. Yet. That's what I was saying. I, I, gifted a few of them away and the last caller was one of the guys that i gifted one to. oh i'm right i just missed it uh wait man hit me up yeah. in, hit me up in direct message i'll i'll give you a gift how about that all right on that's what i love to hear man great show thank you so much all right man no problem all right guys probably gonna wrap it up um looks like we have a little bit of a bounce a little bit of a squeeze But uh, I don't know if this will develop into much more. We shall see. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Always a pleasure. Sorry that I had to take uh, some time off. Um, I mean, knock on wood, hopefully we don't have anything come up in the near future or the future, the very near future. Uh, but uh, enjoy your weekend. All right. Um, as always, thank you for coming on uh, next Friday. Same thing. Probably same time. Uh, until then, stay smart. Don't... Uh, Don't go swinging for the fences. It's not that time yet. Take care, guys.